I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. If there was an intervention for you today, and you agreed to go to rehab for the next 30 days, what would it be for? What would it be for? And of course, I mean, what should it be for? Right? And I'm going to give you a moment. Discuss this with the Lord. If you had a... Got it? Would your friends and family agree with your choice? Would they say, oh, no, that's not the intervention you need. After service, coffee, cookies, you'll have to compare notes. See... Ask somebody, what was your intervention? I've had a chance to think about this all week. And I, I changed mine a few times. I realized I would like my intervention to be for self-centeredness. I mean, just completely honest with you. Uh, and the reason is simple. I think that condition, self-centeredness, for me, would have the most impact on the most symptoms of all my other bad habits. And I want to get the most bang for my imaginary rehabilitation buck. So I'm going with self-centeredness. And, and I'm starting it off with this because I think we just all know, I don't have to talk into this, that, that we mostly focus on one or two symptoms in our life rather than the sinful condition that the sinister symptom is hiding under the surface. But as believers, we got to want to get to its source. Because that's the only way we can give it to the source, the source. Because our Savior ain't into relieving our symptoms. With him, it's always been all or nothing. When you picture Jesus healing, you think he was healing symptoms? 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And it's this, it's a word that means ongoing. It, it, is, it, it has come, and it didn't like been back then. It's like today's the day of salvation. It has come, and each day you wake up, it has come. The old has gone, and the new is here, and it's all or nothing. We're not here, and I mean this, you know, collectively, like why we have our life in this world. But I also mean you and me right here in this building. We're not here to fit him into our life. But to cling to him as our framework for life. Therefore, we got to be bold, reject the old, because the new has come. The new has come. We just, I just don't want to play church, you know? And I love this about this church. You're a real church. You don't, you know, because you don't come to play church. You come to figure out how to get closer to Jesus and how to walk it. Because, see, Jesus isn't going to reduce a fever, so to speak, without getting his hands on the underlying infection. He's not going to do it, which is exactly, I'll make my point. Uh, through this message because this is exactly what he what the good doctor did right here right here in Capernaum Capernaum the little fishing village that Jesus called home 
And it is where, we read in scripture, he cast out a demon in a synagogue that sat on that very foundation. Foundation is still there. That Jesus walked on, cast out that demon, that synagogue. So, question I've asked the church years ago, you may remember. uh, How big do you picture Capernaum? They've only excavated half. The other half is there in the field. We're only looking at half. But how big do you picture Jesus' home office and headquarters? Because the whole town was about the size of our parking lot. Put it in perspective. Isn't that funny? How funny? And one house, one house that is basically about the same as where I'm standing to the lobby from the synagogue to the house has been revered as Simon Peter's house. Little plaques in there they've uncovered since the mid-first century, since when the disciples were still alive, which is really cool. Apparently, a Catholic spaceship has landed on it. (laughs) No, No disrespect. Uh, but, but, hmm. <laughs> but it is sitting right over where Peter's mother-in-law was, was laying while burning with fever. So today we're going to follow Jesus from the synagogue to the lobby. And since weaving is believing, we'll read all three gospel accounts as one word. Uh, you see Mark's in blue and Luke's in green. Matthew's going to come up in purple a little bit. But here's the story. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John, you know, to the lobby. How far? That's just kind of funny. Uh, they went with James and John to the home of Simon, Peter, and, and his brother Andrew. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed suffering from a high fever. I'll tell you, in those days with the workload that you had to do every day just to eat, you didn't go to bed when you just had a little cold. She's suffering from a high fever, and they told Jesus about her, and they asked Jesus to come help her. And so we've got to pause a minute, because you just need to know, before modern medicine, fevers were far more alarming, you know? So they, they often, you know, you got the fever, and you died. So physicians in Jesus' day uh, would rank the fever to gauge the severity of the situation. So a paging Dr. Luke, paging Dr. Luke, because only Luke, the beloved physician, only he in his gospel notes that she had a high fever. It's just funny. You see the doctor coming out in him. She had the worst kind, indicating a very serious underlying infection or some condition. This is this is really serious. This poor woman, likely in her mid-30s, is burning up and burning out. So they go to Jesus because, number one, they can't go to Walmart like we can. They can now. That's actual Walmart in Capernaum. I'm just kidding. It's not really that. Uh, <clears throat> and two, they know they need something far greater than a pain reliever. And one of our problems is pain reliever is too easy to get. And so we kind of think of Jesus as a pain reliever. They need something far greater than a pain reliever. They need the one who deals with the symptoms when he heals the underlying cause. So Jesus left the synagogue and went to her. And when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed. And see, if you're back then, you would read that and go, oh boy, this is bad. 
He's our lying, Peter, mother-in-law lying in bed. And now I want you to watch how well this harmonizes because this is just one of the best examples where all three versions have their own pieces to the story that none of the others have. And you need all three to put the story together. So he bent over her and he touched her hand and rebuked the fever and the fever left her and he took her hand and helped her up. Well, she got up at once, and then she began to wait on him. <clears throat> I was like, I feel good. And then she began to wait on them. The point is, this gal couldn't wait to wait. Because that's the point. Jesus doesn't just want you to get well. He wants you to get up. He wants us to get up, get our eyes off ourselves, and get serving in whatever area he's called you to and with the people he's placed around you. Otherwise, what's the point of being restored? Jesus heals us to empower us to focus on others. Anyone can relieve a few symptoms, but only the great physician can rebuke and remove the underlying condition so thoroughly. He didn't just, didn't just relieve her fever. He restored her health and her energy and her attitude. Because <clears throat> with him, it's always been all or nothing. So the question is, what will it be with you and me? We got to be bold. Reject the old. Because the new has come. We got to walk in it. Because I think we all know that we overfocus on our symptoms and ourselves. I think all too often, if our prayer was really expressed how we really mean it, it would sound a lot like, Jesus, would you be a deer and pop over to Walmart and get me an aspirin? No, the answer is no, he won't. He's more the lion type than the deer. He's the lion of Judah. He gave his life to rid this world of sin's infection at its source. And though we mostly ask for relief from surface issues, he's not about to settle for simply reducing our fever. <clears throat> In fact, this is hard to hear, but he'll let it burn. He'll let that baby burn till we're good and ready to turn everything over to him. Bedridden because of a feverish desire for something self-serving and or self-destructive. Well, let's get those interventions going. We all need one. Oh, and this, this little extra to the story, you know, and that's a great story, but then you have this little, this little ending tacked on. By the way, when evening came, because it was the Sabbath, so it was the first opportunity, when evening came and the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all the sick who had various kinds of sicknesses and many who were demon-possessed. In fact, the whole town gathered at the door. So don't tell yourself it's too late for you. Uh, because the beginning of their hope came at the end of their day. And what did he do? Well, first he drove out the spirits with a word. And I really like this. I went looking to see, what's the word? You know, I found an example. Remember old Legion in the graveyard? He used one word. Go. I love that. <laughs> that's, 
I don't know if that's the word he used here, but he drove him out with a word. And there it's go. He's like, I'll give you to the count of one. No, you're gone. Okay. It's just, it speaks of such authority. You know, he didn't have to make a show of it. It's just, and he didn't even need two words. Now look at this. And laying his hands on each one. The whole town came out now. He healed all the sick. What I want you to notice is that he touches them before he heals them. This is highly significant. He doesn't, you know, heal them like, oh, you're a gross little thing, aren't you? Let's heal you. That's close enough. Let's heal you. Okay, now here's a hug. Uh Uh-uh. He embraces them as they are. And then says, here's a healing. That is uniquely Jesus. I mean, there is no other ever. That is Jesus. That's his style. That's his thing. You know why? For one big good reason, it's forbidden in the Bible. It's against the law. It's against God's law to do that. There's a ton of regulations regarding touching the unclean. And yet, as Matthew points out about this very situation and everyone like it, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah 750 years earlier. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. I want you to understand this like never before. You see, that's, that's mainly why it was forbidden. You'd pick up infirmities and carry diseases. So when you touch something unclean, you had to quarantine outside the camp. We know all about that. But not Jesus. He didn't. He just kept touching. Touching everyone. Oh, let's, hey, you're a leper? Hug. Hug it out. Here's your healing. Who's next? Another leper. Hug it out. There's your healing. Oh, let's bless the babies. Jesus touching everyone, no matter how unclean. Then he'd touch those babies to bless them, which was too much touch even for his disciples. I can't do the story, but you go read the story and you realize they're not bad guys. They just can't believe he's going to touch the babies. And he gets so upset with them. Don't you know what we're doing? So why don't the rules apply to him? You know that that's debated to this day by those who still judge Jesus by the law rather than as the law? Because you see, you don't fit him into our framework. He is the framework into which everything else must fit. And as Isaiah prophetically declared 750 years before, uh, he's exempt because he is sent to wear our burdens and bear our sin, to take it on literally and figuratively and spiritually and ultimately to carry it all to the cross to eradicate it once and for all. So he takes it on. To take it out. Uniquely Jesus. 
And as he himself once said, and I paraphrase, God's not content just cleaning the outside of the cup. And at some point in time, maybe that very day, Matthew went, hey, we're doing Isaiah 53. And we know he had this revelation at some point because he wrote it into the story. This was to fulfill that. And so at some point, Matthew realized, we're, this is, we're doing Isaiah 53. He's the Isaiah 53 guy. And you see, it's after Isaiah pictures sin as raw wounds and leprous sores, real pretty picture of our sin, that he proclaims about the coming Messiah, about Jesus, that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Only his touching, willing, very healing touch but understand what's being said here. Nothing in his appearance, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, unlike the beauty and the majesty of the pretentious robes of the religious rulers. And see, we're talking about his appearance here. Because of his appearance, he was despised, oh, gross, and rejected by self-righteous men. Because he was a man of sorrows. And oh, so familiar with suffering. Oh, he just got down into it. Like one from whom men hide their faces, you know, for fear they'll catch whatever they got. He's like them. That's how they treat. That's the way they rejected him, despised him. It's like, oh my gosh, don't, I don't even, don't breathe on me. That's how he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Because surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet, you know, being ignorant of his exemption from the law and the profound reason why we considered him stricken. And yet, the only repulsive thing about Jesus was our sin. On him. That's what, that's what it's talking about. So how do you picture Jesus touching those folks? You know? Ooh. <laughs> that's a grossy one. That one's wet. <laughs> According to Isaiah, that couldn't be further from the truth. According to Isaiah, the reason he came down from heaven was to cover himself in our filth and our sorrow and our shame. Oh my. <laughs> What's that say about our God? It says he is the absolute best of all mothers and all fathers rolled into one times infinity. I picture Jesus' cloak. I've said this before. I picture Jesus' gross cloak looking like a field surgeon in the Civil War after a long day. Isaiah's prophecy right there for everyone to see. And then Jesus' ongoing health, a confirmation of his holiness. The rules don't apply to him because he's exempt. Because only he can take it and carry it and then spread only healing and wholeness instead. 
When I was 18 years old, I told you this a while back, but it's a gross, fun story. I'll tell it again. When I was 18, lovable, mangy old cat rubbed up against my ankles, and I thought it was cute, and it gave me scabies. That's an actual scabie. They burrow into your skin and make their home inside you and reproduce exponentially. And they got my ankles and, oh, the itching and oozing and sores. Oh, my. Tariel, I'll give you just one little tidbit. Um, to remove my socks at the end of the day, I had to soak my feet in warm water to peel them off. It was one of the grossest things you can imagine. I can't imagine anyone willingly touching my ankles without gloves. Even I didn't want to. It was so gross. But those with diseases, I mean, and we're talking things grosser. Smallpox, big pox, leprosy, open sores, abscesses, lesions, and any number of assorted rashes were pushing forward to touch him because that was the invitation. Jesus once said, hey, the lepers are cleansed. And blessed is, is he who's not offended because of me, you know, the, because of the way I do it. They're cleansed. You're blessed if you're not offended. But then when he went, to, went back to Nazareth, it says they took offense at him. Despised and rejected, just like Isaiah said. Therefore, hear this like you've never heard it before. Therefore, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Which we saw a couple Sundays ago. Faith comes from the word of Christ. He was amazed at their lack of faith. That he's Isaiah 53. He's like, here, let me heal you. Gross. No, don't touch me. You just touch them. So he could only lay his hands on a few. His power, his holiness, his willingness was not limited. Hear this. Their reception was they just didn't like his way of doing it. That's our take home. So don't shy away from his way of all or nothing, hoping for nothing more than a reduced fever or a nice surface cleaning. He's not into it. We get everything so turned around. It's like we go sow our wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. This is not how it works. When he was asked, why do you eat with sinners? Our great physician, as he's called, said, and I paraphrase again, that those who won't admit a need for treatment aren't in need of a doctor. Because the doctor is here for the self-aware who know they're sick with sin within and are ready to receive their new life. Thus making the case that when we disregard a disorder, we're disqualified from a cure. And I'm sorry, but... The gospel of Christ is not simply good advice. It's the way, by way of truth, to a whole new life in Christ. But for that, we got to go below the symptoms. And we got to really invite him in, deep down in. And then, let him get his hands on the very source of our sin. 
He is not always the Savior we want. So just put it right out there. But he is definitely always the Savior we need. So is Jesus your framework for life itself? So many, you know, believers around the world, so many try to fit faith into their way of life, the way we do a career or a friend or a hobby. That's not how you do Jesus. Others try to hold on to Jesus with one hand and their subsurface sin with the other. (laughs) Is everything okay down here? But not us. Not here at this church. We remind ourselves who we are. We, you and I, come here to encourage one another to focus on following Christ first, foremost, always. Because we are not interested in squeezing Jesus into a busy life. We're here to make Jesus Christ the central hub around which every spoke of our life revolves. Amen. 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 Because if his claims are true, it's the only realistic option. Everything else is just insanity and a seduction of deception that we don't really need the good shepherd to guide our every step. But deep down, we all know that most of that stuff that's hiding deep down below under those sinister symptoms not only requires a depth of humility to override our suicidal pride, but the love and support of the Lord touches first and heals after and also those he's placed around us to help us to overpower that which we just can't conquer at least on our own so what do you say gang what do you say we all own up and open up so we can get up and get going because if you haven't noticed that sun is setting but the lobby's right there so What would you like your intervention to be? Let's pray. Father God, we love you and thank you for your desire to bring deep healing to our soul. Holy Spirit, we're ready for your rehab. So help us to deal with the sin beneath our symptoms. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our great physician and thank you for embracing us, healing us, And carrying us to the cross. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.